Matt Parry from Flotos Marta. Music intimately connected with James Joyce and intimately connected with the Dublin of 1904. James Joyce, Barry, is saturated in music. Absolutely. Joyce was uh, immersed in music from his earliest days. Um, his father was a singer, um, an amateur tenor. His mother played the piano. At the time in Dublin, people would be sitting around the piano, standing around the piano, singing musical soirees, musical evenings. He was brought to um, pantomimes and the gaiety early. He famously refers to uh, Sinbad the Sailor at a number of places in Ulysses, and he refers to um, Turco the Terrible, the character in this. He uh, took singing lessons as a young man. He sang in the Fesh Kjol in 1904, where he famously won the bronze medal. He would have been given the gold medal, uh, only he refused to sight-read. He then championed John Sullivan in Paris, the, the Irish tenor who was probably on his way down from his uh, greatest days in, in, at that time. He championed him uh, vocally in the Opera House. His um, first collection called Chamber Music, which I think was 1912, and was a series of Elizabethan-type lyrics, and even the name Chamber Music. And these were set by a lot of composers afterwards, um, Samuel Barber, among others. Indeed, there's a setting by Joyce himself of, of one of the songs, um, Bid Adieu. Bid adieu, adieu. So the whole background to Joyce was was very very musical, and I think the musical the musical Dublin of 1904, which is evoked by 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 Maparid from Frothaus Marta, um, which of course is used to great effect in the Sirens episode in in, in Ulysses, um, sums up that. Music seems to be an extension of the soul with uh, Joyce. There's a famous moment where Dubliners was rejected again, and he was up in Galway with Nora, staying with uh, Nora's aunt. And he simply went upstairs and sat at the piano and started singing Una Fortiva Lagrima, crying out his own blues, if you like. Mm. But uh, I think maybe that came from the father, who seemed to have a song for every occasion. And, of course, Simon Dedalus breaks into song at every chance he gets. That's in true. Ulysses, and, of course, um, John Joyce is a corkman, and they're, they're famous for that. I mean, in the old... I've heard stories in the early part of this, of the last century, in the opera house in Cork, where people would actually sing during the interval of an opera. They would take turns to almost like in a pub and then the, the main business of the evening or perhaps the secondary business of the evening the opera would then commence in act two or whatever and the, everywhere he went in Europe as well in the chaos that surrounded him he almost always had a piano there's one famous picture of him with a guitar of course That's and apparently right. he'd sing all day sometimes and uh, Traviata there were phrases in, in Traviata that he would sing and sing and sing and sing and sing and bloom We'll do this later. So it's definitely an extension of the soul and music is all over him. The Fesh Kjol is an interesting thing, isn't it? It certainly was, yeah. In the sense that McCormack had won it the year before and, right. and rocketed. And then Joyce went for it and McCormack um, encouraged him. It was a very funny, perhaps very funny coincidence. Instead of getting gold, he gets bronze. Yeah, I haven't wondered mm. why he didn't get silver. But in fact, the, yeah. the, per, the person, there was, there was a silver and a, and, a, and, a, and a bronze awarded and they were moved up to gold and silver. Mm. And he was awarded fourth place out, out out of the medals. But the person who had won silver in 1903 was the same person who was now being awarded silver in 1904. And you weren't allowed to do that for some reason. You couldn't win it twice in a row. I don't know why. So he was disqualified, or at least didn't get a medal. And the um, uh, the 
the bronze was moved up to silver mm. and Joyce from fourth was moved up to the bronze so mm. he's not supposed to get a medal but no. in fact he got one in the end and, but, it's, uh, and it's bronze by gold bronze by gold <laughs> 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 this is the opening of, of Sirens now which brings us in a way to, to the actual works that he wrote and yeah. uh, if you think of we've mentioned chamber music um even f- through the wonderful stories of Dubliners and let's not forget he was only 25 when he completed Dubliners it's a staggering achievement and a portrait of the artist as a young man which was published in 1916 they're very very musical reading the prose he's, he's a musician who sort of instead of writing in musical notation writes in prose and then we come finally 1914 to 1921 the great novel uh, Ulysses published in 1922 which is a staggeringly musical work there's music throughout the whole work and of course, um, during this series, Jerry Flaherty and Fritz N have mentioned aspects of this, especially with to do with Sirens, the yeah. 11th chapter or episode in the book. But um, I think if we look at some examples um, from the book, there's a, there's a particular um, section that I love. There's a number of, a number of uh, ways that Joyce uses music. He, he, he uses it, uh, maybe sometimes just mention a name like the man that broke the bank of Monte Carlo, um, yeah. the Lily of Killarney. The man who broke the bank at Monte Carlo. These are all um, p- people who, who are mentioned just in, in lists. Um, but then there's an example in Sirens where he, Simon Dedalus is actually singing Ma Paris, or in its English Victorian version, there was a version of it called And When First I Saw That Form Endearing. The, the passage starts with the words each graceful look which is um, Simon singing each graceful look first night when first I saw her at Matt Dillon's in Terenure, yellow black lace she wore musical chairs we two the last fate after her fate round and round slow quick round we two all looked halt down she sat, all ousted looked, lips laughing, yellow knees. And there's four references to music in that very, yeah? There are. There's the song, um, When First I Saw That Form Endearing, or Mappari, as it was known, although it was originally written in German, it was usually known by the Italian uh, uh, form, Mappari. There's the mention of um, Waiting. This is a song that Molly Bloom comes back to again. Singing. Waiting, she sang. I turned her music, full voice of perfume, of what perfume does your lilac trees? Bosom I saw, both full, throat warbling. First I saw, she thanked me. Why did she me? Fate. Spanishy eyes, under a pear tree alone, patio, this hour in old Madrid, one side in shadow. And old Madrid is a song that uh, Molly, of course, who was brought up in Gibraltar, um, yeah. sings the song so there's this reference to the sort of sunny Mediterranean and so on and finally um, Lydia Deuce misquoting Oh My Dolores Queen of the Eastern Seas from f- the opera f- or the operetta Floradora by Leslie Stewart oh, my Dolores, Queen He says um, in Old Madrid one side in shadow Dolores she Dolores at me luring ah alluring so there's a reference there to the shade of the palm and Lydia Deuce who misquotes it. She says, oh, I, Dolores, Queen of the Eastern Seas. So it's, it's amazing where in those 12 lines or so you get reference to four songs. Mm. And this happens continually throughout the book where there are just ch- chatting away that, that they mention something. Um, 
there's goodbye sweetheart goodbye as Boylan's about to leave um, the Ormond Hotel and so on and this is a song that comes up uh, now and again in the book as well yeah, the another amazing thing is the use of um, music. A lot of us are familiar with Love's Old Sweet Song, with Lachi, Durem, Seaside Girls. These are the three most, I think, most quoted songs, or alluded to, at least, in Ulysses. But uh, it's, it's easy to overlook their use in the book, of course, because with Love's Old Sweet Song, we have that in Calypso, where we meet Bloom, where Boylan is going to come round at four o'clock and rehearse. Uh, these songs of course and now or at least for the rest of the day it seems that Bloom will connect Love's old sweet song with himself and Molly and a former time when they were happy but as uh, as it progresses it seems at least it seems to me perhaps it seems that the the song is now becoming Blaze's and Molly's song it's their song well this is what he does throughout the book he juxtaposes themes all the time just as 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 composers do with music so um, yes Love's Old Sweet Song um, is associated mainly with Molly because she's going to sing it on the concert tour that that, uh, Blaze's Boiling is getting it up for her so um, UP yeah it's the same with Lachie Durham. You and I were talking about that as well. It's um, it's easy. It's a beautiful duet. It's but it's easy to overlook exactly what's going on here. We have Don Giovanni seducing Zerlina, as you know. We have Bloom um, pondering Molly's diction. He's the Masetto in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, Masetto yeah. here. But yeah. later he can be Don Giovanni when he's when he's in sirens, which we'll get to later, but in sirens, he can become Don Giovanni if he moves towards seducing Martha. So it's this fluctuating... Meaning Martha Clifford, his, Martha his, Clifford, his, yes, his the, pen name, of course, bow, does a pun on, on the um, opera Martha, of and of course Martha Clifford, the woman he's he's never met, but is having this sort of... Um, <laughs> he's Henry Flower for... That's right, Henry <laughs> Flower, yes. He's firstly, nowadays he'd be text messaging her, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, um, yes, it's it's uh, an, an amazing juxtaposition of the two Marthas mm-hmm. and the various themes. Yeah, you're right, Barry. Themes. And one of them is betrayal. That's right. Betrayal um, comes up a lot in the book. I mean, there are allusions to um, the minstrel boy, which is a, a theme of betrayal in it. Um, the crappie boy, famously in, in Sirens, where it's a complete song of betrayal. And the whole notion of uh, Bloom and Molly and Blazes, that, that axis throughout the day, um, is a metaphor in a way for betrayal in generally between people. And the sort of petty, bourgeois, small world Dublin, this, the paralysis that he talked about in Dubliners comes to the fore. And a lot of the characters, or some of the characters in Dubliners, we meet again in Ulysses. Indeed, one of them, Martin Cunningham, we meet again in, even in Finnegan's Wake. But um, it's an extraordinary sort of microcosm of the way people actually behave mm. in in this petty, small-minded way, which is what a lot of life is about. Unfortunately. And he, yeah. I, unfortunately, yeah. and um, whereas a lot of the great novels are about the great themes and the great, you know, love, betrayal, death and so on, it's 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 the small, petty way he does it in such a wonderful way. It's mm. the way he does it is... Is, is magnificent but he's, he's, his character Bloom is a very very ordinary man and yet he's one of the great heroes of literature because of Joyce's writing and the way he has written about it and I think that's the important thing always to remember about Joyce is, yeah, is, is the writing and, betra- and he layers betrayal 
theme-wise, music-wise, because in, in a sense, Lachie Durem is betrayal. Stephen feels betrayed by Buck Mulligan, um, and and so on. That's and right, so Usurper, on, so the yeah, very Usurper, last word exactly. of, of episode one. Uh, another song uh, of betrayal, which is featured in two episodes, um, is "Twas Rank and Fame" from Balfe's uh, opera "The Rose of Castile." which curiously was the first opera that was ever done at the Wexford Festival back in the early 50s. And um, it, it comes in in the Aeolus chapter and the Sirens chapter. And um, there's a wonderful moment where Bloom is having lunch in the Ormond Hotel with Richie Goulding. And uh, Richie Goulding um, fondly remembers um, Simon Dedalus's singing of the aria. And that's his brother-in-law, Simon Dedalus. And um, its relevance really lies in the fact that Simon Dedalus treats Richie with a lot of contempt. So these echoes of betrayal are throughout the book. In some ways, music is more obvious in the early parts of Ulysses Barry, as you know, because it's quoted on the page. We know it's flying through Bloom's and even Stevens's consciousness, etc. And obviously Sirens, which we'll get to, is the most musical episode of all. But there are flashes and more layering and weaving in the later parts of the book, right? Absolutely. Well, particularly in, in the last episode, Molly Bloom's soliloquy, there are, there are, there are lots of, of, of pieces there which we'll perhaps come to in a minute. But there's, there's a lovely... Um, there's a couple of mentions of songs that tickle my fancy in uh, Eumaeus, the third last episode, number 16, where it's late at night, the prose is very turgid and tired, it's full of cliches. And the first time you read it, you think, gosh, you know, this is like hard to get through. But when you realise where he's at and the style of what he's trying to do, it's actually really rewarding. And mm. it's now becoming one of my more favourite chapters now, because it's quite a long chapter. But the Bloom and uh, Stephen are tired. They're at the cabman shelter by Buttbridge. And this this is a, a reference to a song on the Merchant of Venice, which I, which I love. The narrator starts off. Between this point and the high, at present unlit, warehouses of Beresford Place, Stephen thought to think of Ibsen, associated with Bairds, the stonecutters, in his mind somehow, in Talbot Place, first turning on the right, while the other, who was acting as his fidus Achates, inhaled with internal satisfaction the smell of James Rourke's city bakery, situated quite close to where they were. The very palatable odour, indeed, of our daily bread... Of all commodities of the public, the primary and most indispensable. Bread, the staff of life. Earn your bread. Oh, tell me, where is fancy bread? At Rourke's the Baker's, it is said. Uh, a reference to um, the song of the Merchant of Venice, uh, Tell Me Where is Fancy Bread. And of course, Rourke's the fancy bread at Rourke's the Baker's, it is said. And it's just literally thrown away. Throw away. You get it or you don't. Um, there's another example, a song called Rocked in the Cradle of the Deep, an old uh, Victorian song about um, somebody uh, dying in a watery grave and how, um, you know, that it's, it's a peaceful place to be for if you have to go that way, that you're sort of safe in the, in, in the ocean. And there's a reference to it in this, again in U.S. You little expected me, but I've come to stay and make a fresh start. And there she sits, a grass widow at the self-same fireside. Believes me dead, rocked in the cradle of the deep. And a third one uh, refers to the song Alice, or Where Art Thou, which talks about somebody coming home and discovering that their wife or sweetheart is now actually dead, that buried her under a stone, but he's been away for some time, a bit like the Ulysses mm, and Bloom Ulysses. wandering. So this passage actually refers to them talking about um, 
Charles Stuart Parnell. Of course, nobody being acquainted with his movements even before, there was absolutely no clue as to his whereabouts, which were decidedly of the Alice, where art thou order, even prior to his starting to go under several aliases, such as Fox and Stuart. So the remark which emanated from friend Cabby might be within the bounds of possibility. So there we have this chapter, three allusions to songs which are sort of out of the blue, so to speak, but just part of the fabric of the text yeah. and not used in a musical way, which they are in other cases where people come in singing bits or bits of songs come to his head. He's using, using them as quotations in his thoughts, so to speak. And once again, we've themes. We have odours and bread, drowning bodies, mysterious wanderings. We, we're back with this layering again, Barry, where Joyce uses almost inaudible music and almost invisible themes to suggest so many things. We were talking about Telemachus, where Stephen is talking to Haynes and suddenly he's off into Palestrina. The proud, potent titles clanged over Stephen's memory the triumph of their brazen bells. Et unam sanctam catholicam et apostolicam ecclesiam. The slow growth and change of rite and dogma like his own rare thoughts, a chemistry of stars. Symbol of the apostles in the mass for Pope Marcellus. The voices blended, singing alone, loud in affirmation. And behind their chant, the vigilant angel of the church militant disarmed and menaced her heresiarchs. That reference to Palestrina, that almost invocation of Latin, leads to more Latin. Yes, about two pages later, at the end of Telemachus, he walked along the upward curving path. So here we have the Latin words uh, spoken by the priest um, over the coffin over the body of the deceased and that's near the very end of Telemachus at the end of um, Calypso. Calypso we have a creak and a dark whir in the air high up the bells of George's church they told the hour loud dark iron hey ho hey ho Hey-ho, 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 hey-ho. Quarter two. There again, the overtone following through the air. Third. Poor Dignam. And that's the end of Calypso, which, of course, take place at the same time, which brings us to Ithaca, the penultimate episode in the book, and... What sound accompany the union of their tangent, the disunion of their respectively centrifugal and centripetal hands? The sound of the peal of the hour of the night by the chime of the bells in the church of St. George. What echoes of that sound were by both and each heard? By Stephen? The liata rutilantium, turmar circum det, jubilantium te virginum, chorus excipiat. By Bloom? Hey-ho, hey-ho. Hey-ho, hey-ho. So here we have, as you rightly pointed out, this echo of music at the same time early in the day, literal bells heard from St. George's Church by Bloom, and perhaps not so literal bells heard by Stephen in his head as he walked along the upward curving path. It's that kind of almost inaudible music, Barry, which haunts the book and in some ways is best exemplified by sirens. It's as if we can hear the blind pianist's tuning fork, which zooms us back in on the most musical episode of all, 
Sirens. sirens, the blind piano tuners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, Sirens is an extraordinary chapter because it is written in the style of music. It's like he was trying to write a chapter using words, but in, in a musical way. He described it as a fugue per canonum, which is a rather dubious phrase, I would have thought, but a fugue through canon. Mm. And of course, fugue and canon are two forms of writing of, of writing music. Um, it starts with these this extraordinary page and a half or two pages, which some people have compared to uh, an overture. I know you're not quite happy with that no. description of it, or a <laughs> prelude or whatever you like. So you've got the original the beginning of the chapter. Bronze by gold heard the hoof irons steely ringing, impressed in And so I say, well, what's this? Well, of course, later on, we find out that this is... Um, bronze, this is Lydia Deuce by gold, uh, minor Kennedy, and here we have Lydia, the Lydian mode and minor, the minor key uh, heard the hoof irons, which are the uh, who, yeah, the, cavalcade. The, the, the cavalcade of the Vikes-Regal mm. cavalcade as it goes along the keys towards, yeah, yeah, exactly. towards Bald's Bridge, steely ringing, it mm. speaks for itself, and then we have this extraordinary phrase, impertinent and tintinton, which of course later we find out is the boots being uh, repeating the uh, the phrase of one of the sirens, impertinent insolence. And this is his, you know, he's just mocking her. And then, you know, it goes on, chips, picking chips off rocky thumbnail chips, and that's Simon Simon picking mm. his nails and so on. And then horrid and gold flushed more, and that's that's Amanda um, Kennedy gold. She she blushed more. And so so it's, it's, they're so condensed, each of these. And um, after about 58 of these or so on, we have the like begin. Yeah. And now the episode is really beginning with Bronze, Bronze by Gold, by gold. Miss, Deuce's Miss Deuce's Head by Miss Kennedy's Head. Over the cross-blind of the Ormond Bar, heard the vice-regal hoofs go by, ringing steel. So now we're into the episode proper. And nothing very much happens in the episode, no. but it is an extraordinary um, mixture of various types of musical ways of doing things. At one stage it ends in a kind of a chord, Siopold, at the end of right. when Marie is the end of the song. Siopold. And there's this wonderful ending where he's thinking of, Bloom is thinking of Blazes Boylan having this tryst with his wife at Seven Eccles Street that afternoon at four o'clock around this time. And he has left the Ormond Hotel to the strains of goodbye, sweetheart, goodbye. And he's now presumably about to do the business up in Eccles Street. And um, the the singing of Simon Dedalus in the next room of um, Mapari in the English language version when first I saw that form endearing ends on the uh, the high B flat come yeah. to me, and on the word come there is a wonderful um, paragraph which goes like this: soared a bird, it held its flight, a swift pure cry, soar. Silver orb, it leaped, serene, speeding, sustained, to come. Don't spin it out too long. Long breath, he, breath, long life, soaring, high, high, resplendent, aflame, crowned, high in the effulgence, symbolistic, high of the ethereal bosom, high of the high, vast irradiation, everywhere, all soaring, all around about the all, the endlessness. And then we have the final two notes of the aria. The aria ends with the piano accompaniment of Bob Cowley and the next word in the text is Siopold, S-I-O-P-O-L-D, which is a mixture of Simon, Leopold, uh, Leopold and of course Lionel, who's the character in Flotov's Marta who sings this aria. And then the next word is consumed, and each of these are paragraphed. So it's an extraordinary mixture of a chord 
of mm. a whole lot of meanings coming together in one word, which of course he was to go on later in Finnegan's Wake yeah. to uh, perfect, if that's the yeah, word you the can use Sirens, for it. Sirens is, is the episode that throws the other preceding episodes to the wind in some ways. Wandering Rocks, up to this we've had a, a, a incredible writing, but it's been relatively conventional by Joyce standards. Sirens completely throws it up in the air and now we've the door, as you say, into Finnegan's Wake, we've the door into, into Circe, we've the door into everything. It's a new language and a new way of writing and a new way of hearing and maybe a very old way of hearing as well in some ways because in Sirens, language gets as close to music perhaps as possible. If there's one song, uh, there's lots of music in Sirens, but if there's one consistent song in Sirens, it's the, it's the, the whole episode, the writing. Absolutely. Because poor Bloom is uh, totally assaulted, literally invaded by the text. And it's like Bloom, lick it up, jam jam, yum yum, and all this kind of very erotic writing. Everybody has been shipwrecked. If we could hear Sirens as music, it'd be some of the most disturbing music we've ever heard in our lives because of the, the wreckage that it does to all the characters. The other great song, of course, in Sirens is The Croppy Boy, which Ben Dollard sings. A young boy going to a priest in Wexford in 1798, and of course the priest turns out to be a redcoat in disguise. The whole notion of what's happening with Bloom and Boylan and Molly is echoed there. One of the things that first attracted me hugely, that really hooked me onto Ulysses when I was about 18, when I read excerpts from it in Harry Levin's uh, book, was a particular uh, phrase... Cowley, uh, he's going to play in F sharp major. It's an unusual key. It's six sharps. He pays the crappy boy in this key. What key? Cowley says six sharps. Dollard, F sharp major Ben Dollard said. Then Bob Cowley's outstretched talons gripped the black deep sounding chords. And then a paragraph later there's this wonderful short paragraph which, which, which I love. But wait. But here. Chords dark. Lugagugubrious. Low in a cave of the dark middle earth embedded or lump music which is very close to Wagner's Rango absolutely mm. it's like the opening of the ring mm. and but I didn't know that at the time and it just was the actual sound of that that said Hooked this you. is absolutely it was like mm. hearing the writer spring for the first time or yeah. it was just a magic revelatory moment well Wagner in some ways is highfalutin it's only one aspect of Joyce because as we know in Sirens words music no, it's what's behind. We're at the end of Sirens, Barry. That's right. And uh, Bloom leaves the Ormond Hotel and wanders down the quays. Um, he's had burgundy earlier for lunch. He's now had some cider. So he feels the need to um, pass some air, shall we say. He avoids um, a lady of the night down the lane. He um, looks in some of the antique uh, sale shop windows. He looks at a picture of Robert Emmett. Uh, we hear the theme of the, of the youth entering the hall looking for the blind striply looking for his tuning fork and suddenly he really wants to he wants to fart basically, basically. and a big <laughs> tram comes by and that tram is sort of crandle cran cran mm. so it's a forerunner of the Lewis here <laughs> he was feeling a bit Lewis at this stage so he says it must be the burr meaning burgundy and of course mm. with echoes of burp mm. and then he's nations of the earth he hears the Robert Ebbett speech no one's behind she's passed then and not till then Tram, cran, cran, cran. Good oppor- opportunities, he's going to say, you see. Coming, Coming. crandle, cran, cran. I'm sure it's the Burgund. Yes. One, two, let my epitaph be ca- written. I have done. done. <laughs>